0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Shared International fourth quarter in 2020 year end results conference call and webcast. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. I would like to remind everyone that this conference call is being recorded today, Thursday, February 11th, 2021 at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I will now turn the presentation over to Joe Racanelli, Director of Investor Relations. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, operator, and good morning, everyone. With me are Sherrett CEO, David Pathay, Interim CFO, Nathan Reeve, and our Chief Operating Officer, Steve Wood. Before we begin, I'd like to remind everyone that we will be following the presentation today that is available from the Investor Relations section of our website at Sherrod.com. Additionally, we will be making a number of forward-looking statements under the provisions of Safe Harbor. The risks and uncertainties associated with these statements are outlined in slide two of our presentation as well as in the disclosure materials that we posted last night on our website and also available via CDAR. David, please go ahead with your opening remarks. Great, all right, well, thanks, Joe. Um, Good morning, everyone. I appreciate you taking the time to join us again this morning. I know uh, today is a a particularly busy day uh, and a busy week of results coming out, so um, we'll try and take you through a few things this morning. Um, as we always do, uh, Steve Wood and, and, uh, and uh, will we'll take us through some operational highlights, uh, and Nathan Reeve, who has uh, stepped into the breach uh, for Andrew Snowden as of 1st of January this year, will touch on uh, some, some financial highlights before I come back and talk about a couple of matters and we'll then take your questions. A couple of things are just from the, from the quarter and the year that I want to highlight off the top. Um, 2020 really wraps up a, what was a, a significant year of progress for share despite all the, all the uncertainty and, uh, and, and tumult caused by, by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, but we finished 2020 in the strongest uh, financial position that we've been in in more than a decade uh, and with some real uh, tailwinds behind us now in, in a number of respects. Uh, 20, the highlight of 2020 was the strengthening of our balance sheet. Uh, we talked extensively about that at the Q3 release uh, where that closed at the end of August. Um, and we have. Uh, now have rising nickel and cobalt prices uh, and encouraging signs of improvement in the U.S. Cuban relationship, which should help our Cuban partners and ultimately help us. Uh, and the balance sheet initiative, you know, resolved our Embattavy investment legacy, eliminated uh, $300 million in debt. Uh, we extended our debt maturities out to the late 2026, and then beyond that to 2029. Uh, we cleaned up all the risk of cross defaults uh, between uh, our Embattavi debt and our other debt instruments. Uh, and now present a much cleaner balance sheet uh, uh, than we've been able to in quite some time. And last I just want to highlight as well: we we, we saw strong collections on our and our overdue receivables in the fourth quarter, uh, thanks to the agreements we put in place with our partners, and uh, this one in 2019 actually, where we captured a disproportionate share of, of the distributions that come out of the partner of our nickel business once we're in excess of the budgeted amounts. Uh, that uh, helped us out to the of 20 million dollars U.S. in the fourth quarter and contributed to a significantly stronger cash position, uh, both uh, overall cash and cash in Canada for, uh, for the year. Um, with those quick highlights, I'm going to turn it over to Steve, and let him take you through some of the operating results, and then come back at the end with a few matters to update you on, and then take your questions. Steve, are you there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks.
2: thanks, Dave, and good morning, everyone. Uh, as I normally do, I'll uh, first comment on our progress on safety. Um, We continue to devote uh, considerable efforts to ensure that our employees go home safe and healthy every day by fostering an environment where best practices for uh, employee health and safety are followed closely. Uh, This has resulted in regularly ranking in the uh, lowest quartile of our benchmark peer group, and we continued this in uh, the fourth quarter Uh, for the year. Our uh, total recordable injury rate was less than half of that of uh, 2019. I'll move now on to slide five and talk about the impact of COVID-19. The onset and spread of COVID-19 has had a significant impact on mining operations around the world for much of 2020. Uh, A number of companies were in fact uh, forced to limit or in some cases, uh, stop production entirely. Uh, COVID-19 had a limited impact on our production activities in, at each of our operations. Uh, the only real impact that we experienced in 2020 was the, uh, the rescheduling of our annual maintenance shutdown at the uh, refinery in Fort Saskatchewan and its extension by a few days uh, due to uh, limited contractor availability in the region. The limited impact that uh, COVID-19 had on uh, production is attributable in part to to the uh, additional health and safety measures that we implemented starting in uh, March 2020 as the virus was spreading around the world. Uh, These measures have uh, included uh, practicing social distancing and increased use of hand sanitizers, workplace modifications, and uh, additional personal protective equipment. Uh, employee health and safety are paramount to share it, and uh, we will take all necessary measures to continue to uh, protect our employees throughout this uh, pandemic. Uh, measures implemented to date to prevent the spread of COVID-19 will remain in effect for the foreseeable future. Now turning to our production results, uh, starting with the MOA JV on slide 6. On a 50% basis, uh, MoA produced 4,020 tonnes of nickel and 451 tonnes of cobalt in the quarter. Although uh, consistent with last year's results, uh, the production totals in Q4 were impacted by unplanned autoclave uh, repairs at the refinery in Fort Saskatchewan. Uh, The repairs resulted in a decline in production to 50% of normal capacity for a few days. And despite this challenge, our production results in quarter four uh, allowed us to largely achieve our guidance for the year on a 100% basis. Our production in Q4, in fact, helped uh, to offset the impacts to production caused by the railway uh, service disruptions that uh, you will recall we experienced in the first quarter. And the extension of the annual uh, plant shutdown for several days back in uh, the third quarter. On a 12-month basis, we produced uh, 15,753 tons of finished nickel and 1,684 tons of finished cobalt in 2020. Uh, these totals were largely consistent with the results for the previous year. Now I'll turn to slide 7 and, and discuss our unit costs at the MOA JV. MPR, or uh, mining, processing and refining costs, Uh, declined by 11% in in Q4 and uh, relative to the previous year. The decline was driven by a combination of factors including uh, lower input costs for sulfur and fuel as well as uh, expense savings generated by our austerity measures that we implemented earlier in uh, 2020. We implemented these austerity measures in the the wake of economic uncertainty caused by the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, despite the decline in NPR costs, uh, NDCC was uh, up in uh, Q4 by about 19% to $4.47 per pound of nickel sold uh, versus the previous year. The increase was attributable to a combination of factors, uh, including lower cobalt and fertilizer byproduct credits, as well as uh, by higher production costs uh, caused by the uh, biannual acid plant shutdown at the uh, refinery in Fort Saskatchewan. On a 12-month basis, NDCC was uh, uh, $4.20 US per pound, and this uh, total put us well within our guidance for the year. Uh, Now, I'll turn to our oil and gas uh, operations on slide eight. We produced uh, 2,599 barrels of oil per day in Cuba on a gross working interest basis in uh, Q4. Uh, The total uh, marked a decline of approximately 30% from the previous year when we uh, had produced uh, 3,785 barrels of oil per day. Uh, this decrease was uh, due to natural reservoir declines. Unit costs in Cuba for Q4 2020 were $23.13 per, pound, oh, sorry, per barrel. Uh, that's down 5% from the 24.33 per barrel for Q4 of the previous year. Uh, unit costs declined largely because of a stronger Canadian dollar uh, relative to the U.S. currency as operating costs are denominated in uh, U.S. dollars. Looking at our results for the oil and gas business on a full year basis, uh, production and uh, unit costs were both in line with our guidance for the year and also reflective of uh, natural reservoir declines at uh, PEU Marie. Now turning to our Power Division on slide nine. Uh, We produced 144 gigawatts of electricity in Q4 and that's down 23 percent from the previous year when we produced 186 uh, gigawatts in the same quarter. Uh, The decrease uh, relative to last year was driven by reduced natural gas availability on account of the uh, maturing oil field production. Uh, Despite That decline in the fourth quarter, Uh, 2020's uh, total power production of 602 gigawatts was in line with uh, guidance for the year. Uh, Unit operating costs for the quarter were $26.73. That's up 21% from 2,215 for the previous year. Um, The increase was due uh, mostly to larger, uh, sorry, lower production. Uh, Unit operating costs on a full-year basis declined by 5% in 2020, relative to last year, despite lower production. The year-over-year decline was uh, largely driven by the decision to defer planned maintenance activities and limit uh, operational spending, uh, consistent with the pace of collections against overdue receivables from our Cuban energy partners. Uh, Dave will expand on our outlook for the oil and gas and power businesses in his closing remarks. Um, that concludes my remarks on operational performance. Uh, I'll now turn it over to Nathan for a discussion on our financial results.
3: Nathan? thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve, and good morning, everyone. I would like to begin my remarks with a couple of comments on our balance sheet. As David noted in his opening comments, we ended the year with a much stronger balance sheet by eliminating more than 300 million of debt and extending the maturities of our debentures with the first maturity in late 2026. We also took measures to strengthen our liquidity, including the renewal of our $70 million credit facility to April 2022. The credit facility with our syndicate of lenders includes a $10 million accordion feature, and more flexible covenants. As at the end of uh, 2020, we had drawn $8 million against the facility. Now turning to our consolidated cash and short-term investment balance, which was 167 million at December 31st, 2020, up from 166 million at the start of the year. As you can see from the cash waterfall on slide 11 of our presentation, our improved position was attributable to a number of developments in the year. The most notable being the receipt of $40 million of distributions from the MOA JV in 2020, representing Sherritt's 50% share of distributions. In addition, Sherritt received distributions of $26 million in Q4 2020, which represented the 50% share of distributions earned by Sherritt's JV partner, GNC, and redirected to Sherritt. The redirection was in accordance with the overdue receivables agreement and resulted in a decrease in cash held by Energas in Cuba. After consolidation adjustments, the net impact on our cash position, as you can see from the chart, was $17 million. The key driver of these distributions was the nickel price recovery experienced in the second half of 2020. These increases to our liquidity were offset by a number of cash outlays in 2020, including 28 million of costs related to the balance sheet initiative and early consent considerations, and capital expenditures, primarily at the Fort site location and for the oil and gas business unit, totaling $12 million. In addition, we paid interest of $5 million on the new second lien notes, which resulted from the balance sheet restructuring. I should point out that in addition to an approved cash position, we also ended 2020 with less cash held in Cuba than at the start of the year. At December 31st, 2020, 75 million of our cash was held in Cuba, down from 80 million at the start of the year. Moving to the next slide, The progress we made collecting on amounts owed to us by our Cuban energy partners is more clearly visible on uh, this slide, slide 12. At the end of Q4, amounts owed to us by our Cuban energy partners totaled 146 million, down from 159 million at the end of Q3. As mentioned, the decline was principally driven by the receipt of US 20 million of distributions that were redirected to us by GNC in the fourth quarter of 2020. This amount was received, as previously noted, under the overdue receivables agreement and the proceeds applied against amounts owed to it by Ennegas. We will continue to work with our Cuban partners to ensure timely receipt of payments, but do anticipate some lumpiness with collections in 2021 largely because of the continued impact of U.S. sanctions against the country and the decline of tourism caused by COVID-19. Typically, Q1 generates the highest influx of tourism dollars into Cuba, but this year we will see a drop relative to recent years. The unification of Cuban currencies, which I will talk to next, has created some near-term delays in connections, collections. So moving to slide 13, at the start of 2021, the Cuban government began the process to unify its currencies consistent with economic reforms it announced over the past several years. Given the interest in the Cuban currency unification and its impact to share it, I'd like to review a couple of highlights with you today. As many of you know, Cuba had two currencies until December 31st, 2020. The convertible currency or CUC was used by travelers and foreign businesses and was pegged against the US dollar on a one-to-one basis. This currency was unified with the Cuban peso or CUP, uh, the local currency effective January 1st, 2021. The CUP is now Cuba's only official currency and its exchange rate against the US currency will be 24 pesos for every American dollar. The rationale for the currency unification was to support economic reforms launched by the country, harmonize wages throughout Cuba, particularly for individuals not involved in the tourism industry, and approve the valuation of Cuba's exports. While a six-month transition period is underway, whereby CUCs are being converted into CUPs, we do not expect impacts to amounts that will be distributed via the Moa Moa Joint Venture, cash held at Anagas, or amounts owed to us by our Cuban partners. All payments made to share it will continue to be made in foreign currency. We are monitoring development since the unification has only been in effect since January 1st and participating in discussions locally to fully determine the impact on our Cuban businesses. The only real impact that we may see in the near term relate to the timing of receipts against overdue amounts owed to us. While we do not expect amounts owed to us to be devalued or lessened by the currency unification process, payments will likely vary month to month in the near term. That concludes my remarks. I will now turn the call back to Dave for his concluding comments.
1: All right. Thank you, Nathan. Um, A few things for me I just wanted to touch on before we come back to your questions. <clears throat> the first is our 2021 outlook and guidance uh, that you would have seen us issue a release on uh, two or three weeks ago now, I suppose. Uh, just a few comments on that. Um, we've seen our production guidance, uh, 32 to 34,000 tons of nickel on a 100% basis. Uh, that would represent a, supply, a slight increase uh, over 2020 production. Uh, we believe that's achievable and consistent with the uh, historical production at uh, the mower joint Venture. And are focused on delivering that, along with 33 to 3600 tons of, of cobalt on a 100 percent basis. Um, a couple of comments on our net direct cash cost. We put it. Uh, there's some guidance out there, roughly four and a quarter to four seventy-five a pound U.S. Um, that the, the variation in that and the slight uptick in that from uh, from the 2020 is driven entirely by uh, by commodity prices. Uh, we expect the trend the, over the last few years of, of decline in our controllable NPR costs to continue. Um, but there are some more conservative assumptions in there on some of the other commodities that influence our net direct cash, cash costs that, uh, that give us some room for improvement on that if, if commodity prices work in our favour. Uh, for example, that for a quarter to 4.75 is assuming a 15.58 uh, cobalt price for the year. Uh, cobalt had a very nice start to the year, which I'll, I'll highlight for you in a moment. Uh, As it's, it's last cobalt, right now is about 22 bucks, and at the roughly 10 to 1 ratio that we have for uh, uh, cobalt production to nickel production, uh, every every dollar on the cobalt price is worth about 10 cents a pound to us, and uh, an improvement in our net direct cash cost. Uh, it also sur- assumes uh, 145 dollars a ton for sulfur. Sulfur has crept up this year; um, we were paying about 90 bucks a ton uh, late last year. Um, It's now up into the 130s range, and we were anticipating some some tightness in the the sulfur market, and that's why we had the higher price assumption in there. We'll see how that unfolds, but the increase we've seen so far in cobalt this year is is, is more than taken into account in our our estimates we put together for for the guidance on on that joint cash cost. Um, Capital spending, you see that the more joint venture is up a little bit from last year. Uh, That's that's driven primarily off of some projects that were deferred uh, in 2020. The beginning of the year when when, uh, when nickel prices were low in the first half of the year, um, we do have some flexibility on that if commodity prices retreat again, but we'll hopefully be looking to look execute on that to, to stay up to date on our on our capital spending in MOA. Uh, lastly, uh, just on the power, as Steve noted, we had some impact on, on operating costs in the power business in 2020. Uh, some maintenance was deferred in, in connection with the uh, the pace of collections in the power business. Uh, that will certainly be the, the, the practice going forward into 2021 as well for both our capital and maintenance spending in the power business keeping those paced with uh um uh, with, the, with the rate of collections in, in that business uh, and so we could see some impact on those numbers depending on on how collections go and, and it can just gave you some sense of the, the variables and uncertainty that are at play there at the moment that's what i wanted to talk about on guidance uh, steve mentioned i would talk a little bit about oil and gas um it, 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 we, shared with you the final results of our our Block 10 drilling uh, last year, Uh, and where we are now, you'll have seen that we have not published any guidance uh, for the the oil business for 2021. Uh, The reason for that is uh, our existing production sharing contracts, under which we've been producing for the last few years, are due to revert back to Cupet, the the Cuban state oil Oil company, uh, towards the end of the first quarter, Uh, and we won't have any oil production um, beyond that date. Uh, we do still have a number of different prospects in, in the country, uh, including Block 10 and, and other blocks that we have access to. Um, we are continuing to look at uh, for partners uh, that, uh, that that may be interested in, in participating in that on a type of burn-in basis. Uh, we don't have any arrangements like that at this point in time, and, and as we stand here today, uh, we don't see any meaningful amount of capital being spent by us in the oil business at this point in time, but we'll continue to see if there are opportunities to do anything with those prospects uh, going forward in the future. I mentioned the power business. Um, we uh, we'll say that the pace of spending there will be, will be linked to the, to the pace of collections. Our current power arrangements are in effect through 2023. Uh, however, we do expect those to be extended. Um, we have had those conversations in Cuba. Um, frankly, we would have hoped to make more progress on that in 2020, but with uh, the inability to travel to Cuba, that has been pushed out But that's so something we'll be looking to get done uh, this year. Uh, a couple of slides on, on nickel markets, so the first there on page 17 shows you um, the dramatic moves we've seen in, in nickel price over the last six months, uh, and really then in, in cobalt over the last six weeks, really. Um, there's a significant momentum behind both commodities at this point in time. A uh, number of factors driving the uh, the run-up in cobalt prices. Sorry, we'll start with nickel. the drive up in, in, in nickel prices. Um Stronger stainless steel uh, production numbers than potentially were expected out of China in the second half of the year, uh, weaker U.S. dollar, um, inflation fears are leading to some, some strength uh, across the whole base metal sector following run-up in, in, in precious metals, uh, and, and, and now more and more momentum around the, uh, the theme of electric vehicles that we've been talking about for some years. Um, Electric vehicles, as we've talked about in the past, comprises a relatively small component of global nickel demand, 3-4%, but that's expected to be uh, um, uh, upwards of 40% by 2040. And we actually did see some growth in nickel demand as a component of overall uh, uh, nickel demand in the market from 3-4% up to 5-6-7% over the course of 2020, and that trend is expected to continue. the cobalt price was really run uh, just in the last few weeks, uh, driven on momentum or, uh, behind the electric vehicle and battery theme. Generally, uh, we're now at about $22 a pound. That's uh, the highest price we've seen since, um, since early 2019, uh, and um, certainly that helps us both from a cash flow perspective and a that direct cash flow cost perspective, as I mentioned there uh, in our guidance discussion. There, um, where it goes from here is obviously the, the big question. That's what we're talking a, bit, a little bit on, on slide 18. Um, analysts have been scrambling to update their forecast to catch up with the movement we've seen in nickel price. And Wood McKenzie is now talking about we could be testing $9 by mid-year uh, before seeing it potentially uh, retrench. Um, uh, certainly some of the announcements that have continued but from governments and automakers alike uh, uh, that we've seen over the last few years have continued. And that has helped build momentum on, the, on both nickel and cobalt prices. Uh, General Motors, for example, would have seen just this year announced uh, $27 billion of investment over the next five years towards EV production and plans to have the bulk of its fleet fully electric by 2035. Um, The change in administration in the U.S. as well is is bringing a renewed commitment to to green energy as the U.S. re-enters the Paris Accord. Uh, We expect that to build more momentum for uh, for the uh, electrification, transportation and and bodies in the U.S. uh, with the momentum that it already has in Asia and to to some extent in Europe as well. Um, Near-term, we still think that there could be some volatility. We have seen a significant run-up uh, in, in the prices, and that's in the midst of a global pandemic, and that with our uncertainty around future collections. We have taken advantage of the high-spot market to protect ourselves on the downside. Um, but if we do see these prices continue where they we are, we'll see a significant improvement in our cash flow over the course of the year, and we will potentially be uh, based on budgets and where commodity prices are now. If these prices sustain themselves, uh, we'll be back into a situation uh, where we were in, in, uh, in late uh, 2020 where we're looking to capture a disproportionate share of the dividends again once again uh, from the mall joint venture so just to sum up then back on, on page 19 here um, 2020 was a, was a busy year um, as we as we scrambled to, to address COVID and keep our operations running but we successfully delivered on that uh, we learned to meet our production guidance across the board um, and, and a significant improvement in the financial uh, situation and balance sheet strength that leaves us now positioned extremely well to, to, uh, to capture on this the higher commodity prices that we're seeing now. And the, the longer-term story that we've been talking about here for some years of the theme around electric vehicles and significant shortages of, of nickel, uh, uh, particularly Class one nickel for battery production in years to come. Um, we may see near-term volatility in nickel prices, but we have greater conviction than ever that, in that longer-term story. Um, With that, I think we can wrap up there, Operator, and take uh, any questions anybody may have.
0: Certainly. Ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star, followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from Don DiMarco with National Bank Financial. The line is open.
3: Uh, Thank you, operator. Good morning, David and team. Do you expect the the redirection of your JV partners' distributions to be of a similar magnitude uh, in Q1 as they were in Q4? Um,
1: Not in Q1. Uh, The the arrangement we have with our partners is uh, there is a budgeted amount of dividends uh, that that the Cubans anticipate receiving out of the the joint venture, uh, and that is all plays into their central planning around uh, hard currency inflows and outflows out of the country. If, however, over the course of the year, the um, budgeted amount, the actual cash available for distribution from the MOA-JV exceeds the budgeted amounts, um, we, we at that point after this, if we've exceeded the distributions in accordance with budget to the two partners, at that point we'll capture a disproportionate share of of the dividends. So we anticipate the first quarter dividends um, will be shared by the partners pro rata as as we work towards budget. Um, But uh, with commodity prices where they are now, um, if they sustain at these levels throughout the year, uh, distributions from the joint venture may well have achieved budget for the year um, by by about mid-year, and we could be seeing us capturing a disproportionate share of distributable cash from from the JV in the second half of the year how quickly we get to that point Mm -hmm. and and the the magnitude of that over the course of 2021 is obviously entirely dependent on on commodity prices.
3: Okay, great. Um, Just shifting over to the um, uh, class one nickel that you produce, obviously this is the best for EV battery applications. Do you see any early evidence of a divergence in pricing between class one and class two nickel? are EV manufacturers starting to reach out to you directly to ensure supply
1: um, there is a I don't know a divergence I think you know you look at the market today uh, in, in terms of the spot market for physical in some ways the the, the price um, is potentially even stronger than, than what the physical market shows today. There is physical market avail- physical metal available in the market today. Uh, you are seeing ferro-nickel trade at a bit bigger discount uh, to the LME price uh, than it has in the past. I don't know whether that is a, a, a long-term trend or just a, a, a function of near-time, uh, near-term supply and demand, but uh, there is a bit, a bit more of a, a ferro-nickel and NPI discount at the moment compared to class-one nickel. Um, and we'll see whether that does develop into a longer-term trend. Um, at the moment, you know, we most of a lot of our nickel, the bulk of our nickel is, is, is under uh, contract to customers that we've had for, for many years. Um, there is certainly a lot of interest in battery makers out there in terms of looking and figuring out what their, and, and automakers in terms of what their long-term procurement strategies and supply chain strategies are going to be as they look to move more heavily into electric vehicle production and that will play out over the next, next couple of years. Okay. Thank you, that's all for me. Thanks,
0: John. Again, as a reminder, please press star, followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Tony Robson with Global Mining Research. Your line is open.
4: (coughs) Gentlemen, thank you for, uh, well, thank you for the presentation. Thank you for taking my my questions. Um, Two questions, if I may, please. Um, The good to see, firstly, the the short buying puts protecting about 50% of the downside for this year rather than getting to a complex uh, option strategy, which would cause limits the upside. question is, is that simply a prudent move by management, or do you see some real downside risk to nickel? uh, Or or is nickel looking toppy, uh, in other words, at this price uh, to you now? That's my first question, please.
1: I can give you a couple comments on that. I mean, generally, we are not going to be active hedgers of the, of the nickel price. We have we have long had a longstanding policy that we are not hedgers, and, that, and we intend to remain fully exposed, particularly to the upside of, of nickel. Uh, and this is not the onset of a, of a, of a more sophisticated hedging strategy. Um, the logic behind this, from our perspective, was um, we had seen a significant run up uh, in, in nickel prices in the fourth quarter of. of uh, of, of 2020, and as we looked at our cash flow forecasts and expectations over over the course of 2021, uh, given global uncertainty, uh, there was a lot of talk from analysts about the downside risk in in nickel prices based on just the degree of economic uncertainty from the global pandemic. Um, We also have some uncertainty around the pace of collections out of Cuba, uh, given the impact of COVID uh, and and US sanctions on the island um, there and losing their tourism season. Uh, and really, the, the run-up in the high spot price and the nickel price gave us an opportunity to buy. Really, what we see as, as some cheap insurance on 2021 cash flow, uh, given given that higher level of uncertainty in the world that we see today. Um, so, and that was the, the the logic behind the approach that we took to to buy some uh, some floors or some puts to uh, to give us some comfort that a portion of the nickel price would be available. You know, it's only six months ago that we had a nickel price that started with a five. And I think anytime you see a 50% increase in the commodity price in in five, six, seven months in the the midst of a global pandemic, you have to be concerned that there's some near-term volatility risk to that. Uh, And the spot market gave us an opportunity to protect and give us some insurance against a minimum level of cash flow that enables enable us to meet our obligations and and have some financial flexibility going forward, even if things take a more difficult turn in commodity markets due to the pandemic or any a number of other factors. That was the, the logic behind it, and I think that what we were able to do in putting those in place uh, while preserving all the upside, obviously, we looked at the idea of cashless colors and such as well rather than actually paying cash for those floors, um, but we were keen to preserve the upside uh, opportunity in, in nickel. Those of you who followed nickel for a long time can know of its volatility, and its ability to move upwards dramatically when, when circumstances change, and we certainly didn't want to trade away that, uh, that opportunity. But, having some certainty of a minimum level of cash flow if, if nickel prices were to take a near-term retreat uh, at the same time that we suffered at the, the, the pace of collections in Cuba. Uh, we were able to mitigate that uh, through the, through the stock market uh, and, uh, uh, and it doesn't affect our long-term expectation of where we think nickel prices are going. Okay,
4: good, clear, uh, thank you. Um, so I take it if, um, if we take this action as a guide to the future if and when, that um, you don't even be looking to cap 50% of production, or as, as you mentioned, more to do with what your cash outgoings would be at any point in time?
1: Yeah, I don't think there's a, there's a, anything that you can read into that in terms of our intentions of, of, of what we might do going forward, and I don't think this will be a, a regular feature of ours. Um, but it'll depend on uh, on, uh, on what the, what various variables look like in terms of prospects for collections, where the commodity price is compared to near-term expectations. Um, it is a tool that is available to us to give us some, some comfort on our, on our tools, and we will we can a look at that. Um, it's relative to what our forecasts and budgets were, that this level of production gave us a level of certainty in terms of the cash flow that would we'll deliver in terms of meeting our, our cash obligations for interest and in other matters over the course of 20. 20- uh, 21 and that's where we land that's why we landed on that particular level but there's no magic to uh, to any particular level of production and uh, just, just the way the math worked out with the values we're able to put those floors in that
4: okay yeah. uh, second and it's a fairly minor point um, the 20 million dollars in prepayments you had have nickel future nickel sales uh, just post the uh, uh, the year-end any what was the thinking there please I can understand that it improves your near-term liquidity, but the cost, of course, it will reduce your future liquidity. So um, could you give us a little bit more colour on that, please?
1: Yeah, that really is just near-term, sort of intra-year fine, intra-year financing over the course of 2021. And it, it doesn't in any way affect the ultimate price that we realise for the nickel, because it is all fully exposed to the, the nickel price over the course of the year. Uh, but it does just front end load our liquidity at the beginning of the year. Um, and the logic of that is it was relatively... Uh, a cheap financing and gives us a bit of cash up front, particularly if the first part of the year is the most difficult uh, from a Cuban collection perspective. So it was just really an really opportunity to enhance the term liquidity if that creates opportunities for us to take advantage of anything in in-debt in markets or anywhere else uh, to have that cash up front. Uh, but it is, it is paid back over the course of 2021 through, through, through nickel sales. You're absolutely right about that.
4: Okay, great. Uh, no further questions. Thank you. Thanks, Tony.
0: Have a good day. Okay, and as a reminder to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. And we have no further questions. Keep up at this time. I would now like to turn the call back over to David Pathy for closing remarks.
1: All right. I'll just take a quick moment and thank you once again for for joining us this morning. Um, I know it's a busy day and and people are scrambling from from one press release to the next. Um, We are obviously around uh, today and and always for any further questions or comments. Um, If we don't speak to you before, we'll speak to you again in a few weeks' time when we release Q1. Have a great day. Thank you.
0: This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.